This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Historic Souvenirs presents A Cyclist in Trepid Journeys, adapted from his book Pedal Power, Roy Sinclair and his partner Harlico from Japan discover in France the national obsession round the Tour de France by biking some of its routes. Sleepless nights by firelight, the stranger in this town, heard by talking long and singing songs, I have laid my loneliness down. So long descend with peaceful friends, there is no richer by virtue of going slower than motor vehicles, the bicycle brings to attention a degree of detail not always appreciated. Litter, bottles, plastic and worse, concealed from view of fast-moving motorists. This wouldn't be happening in Singapore, where draconian rules treat littering as a serious offence. Rubbish strewn along a road or rail route isn't easy on the eye, or bike tyres, if it's glass. It's someone's trash, discarded like dog droppings where people walk. It poses a question. Is a consumer society that produces such inevitable disposable waste worth blotching our landscapes with trash? In spite of it, I come to love France for its landscape, architecture, cuisine, wine and the kindness of its people. It shows in the way motorists give way to cyclists. Cyclists are revered for their sport, much as an all-black is in New Zealand. We have undertaken this ride on the strength of a pub yarn years ago. Should another bicycle journey ever give me the same buzz as this one has? Caution with the liqueur, though, to guard against getting too much of a good thing. Our livers, after all, may suffer a toll in France as much as do the lungs of our All Blacks in New Zealand. Afternoon heat sucks our energy as efficiently as does it warm bottles of water carried on our bicycles. We sense we're returning to civilization once we reach Voiron. It's on the high-speed rail link to Lyon and Paris by TGV. Train à grande vitesse, bullet-like trains capable of speeds over 500 kilometres per hour. It's more than a match for bikes, but probably less fun. The road ahead falls, at first steeply and then more gently. It's effortless cycling in the warm breeze to go through a gorge by Lac de Chambon. The road takes tunnels to get past rock overhangs. It's about time to make camp. Yet I ride blissfully by a rare camping opportunity in the vicinities. Harlequin's sharp eyes pick it out. Campground Le Travisson on river terraces below the village of Le Frenet d'Oissin. Lynn's the proprietor, still reeling from the Tour de France. <laughs> that went 
both directions through the gorge while being based at her camp overnight. From her we get the baguettes and other appetizing ingredients for our camping meal. Adopting her advice to add a can of button mushrooms to sizzle with our stew. Tomorrow we'll ride farther down the mountain through small villages as the last we shall see of quiet rural roads in France. Our next challenge before reaching the border is to ride over the mountain pass Col de Grenier at 1,134 metres. We turn in to get a rest. We need it to be relaxed and alert on our tour tomorrow. Tous les samedis soirs, on allait où ça Dans un bel musette pour danser comme ça. Dans un vieux quartier fréquenté comme ça. Par des danseurs de Java comme ça. Bruit de la peur, bruit de la peur, autant joyeux. Où les frappes, où les frappes étaient chez eux. Rue de la peur, rue de la peur, en ce temps-là, à petits pas, on dansait la java. Les jules portaient des casquettes sur leurs cheveux gominés. Avec de belles roues flaquettes qui descendaient jusqu'au nez. Rue de la peur, rue de la peur, c'était charmant. Rue de la peur, rue de la peur, mais plus prudent. Rue de la peur, rue de la peur, pour les enfants, de les emmener ce soir-là au ciné, plutôt que d'aller se faire assassiner. We take in the scene from the balcony of a cafe up the pass. From this solitude, we'll face a long descent, steep, winding, freewheeling to Chambéry, ready to trap us in the mayhem of the city. With its population over 100,000, served by the high-speed trains, Chambéry is a tourist destination for many attracted to the mountains and their mineral springs in the region of Savoy. It's become a permanent part of France since 1861, having historic links to dukes of the House of Savoy. We're now cycling along major routes, with motorists going faster than we're used to, but they're consistently courteous. We feel confident we'll not add to France's grim annual statistic of 250 on bikes dying on the roads. Does any other way of touring bring people closer to others than touring like this? by bicycle. Ahead awaits a city where things run on rails, from international electric trains to prolific modern tramways. Flags displaying the famous Swiss cross fluttering from buildings suggest a proud and patriotic people. Unlike in France, even in this corner of Switzerland that's French-speaking, most people are happily speaking English to us. Our only disappointment being a somewhat drab and dreary appearance to the outskirts of the city of Geneva on our approach from the south. I let Haruko take the lead, lest I get the blame for leading us astray. Just follow the tram lines, people say when we ask. Eventually, we cross the wide, impressive Rhone that pours from the lake's southern tip, where we find the ferry terminal. Our plan from here is to catch the holiday mood on a ferry trip that takes us up the Lake of Geneva, or Lac Léman. It's similar in size to New Zealand's Lake Wakatipu, 
The Lake of Geneva happens to belong to two nations, part French, part Swiss. The common border slices roughly lengthwise along the lake. An icon of the lake is the sight of a spout of water spurting 140 metres above it, looking like a burst water main. The idea springs from a creative way to relieve the pressure in Geneva's water pumps of 1886. At first, only a few metres high, the outlet shifted to where it now is. The idea springs from a creative way to relieve the pressure in Geneva's water pumps of 1886. At first, only a few metres high, in 1891 the outlet shifted to where it now is. Only the Swiss could accord it a new role as tourist attraction, a decorative fountain. We gather the Lake Geneva ferries are more for tourists than for transportation. It may be a hint that the ferry timetables are a maze, complicated to say the least. We obtain tickets. We can't afford first-class access to the mahogany world of the subway, the best vantage points, but do secure us comfortable seating in the cool breeze of the aft deck. We wheel our bikes up the boarding plank. The Savoy seems reminiscent of a scene in Titanic, in which opulence of sea travel is subtle but present. Even this lake steamer makes bicycles look out of place aboard, not to mention their riders. One of the smartly uniformed crew politely steps forward, indicating where our bicycles may conveniently be stowed during the journey. We're in holiday mood as the Savoy paddle steamer gets underway. The owners, Compagnie Générale de Navigation, began converting Savoy, a steamship first launched at the beginning of World War I, to diesel-electric propulsion in 1933. Her funnels are shortened, the interior renovated for another 80 years' service plying the lake. In 1998, her owners respond to tourists' romantic desire for authentic paddle power on the lake. Savoy is rebuilt over two years, her paddle wheels being driven by steam heated by oil firing the boiler. Hence, I see no evidence of the black soot on deck betraying burning of coal. That's in the past. Though Switzerland is neutral during World War II, the company dares not venture over to the south side of the lake while it's in the hands of Vichy France. A lack of services nearly sends the company broke. It's time for cost-cutting, of modernising its fleet. It comes close to abandoning steamboats to the scrapyards. Representing another school of thought, a private fundraising initiative, Association des Amis de Bateau à Vapeur du Léman, lobbies to preserve these historic steamboat service, restoring them to former glory. Savoy, one of eight the company refurbishes, takes two years to finish. With an authentic arrangement of pistons fired by steam technology the company has not seen installed in 70 years, Savoy has the sheen of a new ship. With gleaming pipes, pistons pump according to bells of command from the bridge. We set off in a shroud of steam at a fast clip across the lake. 
in our wake, children jump into the foaming stern wash. To view the activity deep in the engine room, a large video image displays the action. Over the next hour or so, our paddle steamer calls at villages hugging the lakeshore. With summer's heat, each jetty on the timetable greets us with more cheers and shouts as local lads, keen to show their prowess, make ready to dive in the bubbles of our departure. The afternoon puts on a good burst of summer heat, in which we are delighted to discover the vessel comes with iced tea. We change boats at the small town of Ivoire on the French lake shore, yet it's for pedestrians only to preserve the look and feeling of strolling amid medieval buildings and cobblestone narrow streets. It boasts flowers blooming on virtually every balcony and windowsill. Here we disembark a while, awaiting another vessel to take us farther along the lake to evian les We'll not stay here, in a town luring the world's wealthy elite, a community of 9,000 built on the reputation of its mineral springs makes its location famous across Europe as a spa. We'll make our way a few kilometres out of town for a camping spot up a horrendously steep hill. At least we have a view over mountains and lake. Like a brook when it 
trips and falls over stones on its way to sing through the night like a lark who is learning to pray. I go to the hills when my heart is lonely. I know I will While Harlico takes a soothing hot shower back at the camp, I set out in search of a supermarket. Returning laden with shopping, securely wrapped in my outer clothing, and dexterously balanced on the handlebars. It's just as our father would do, riding home from work with a pile of items on his bicycle for us. Oh. Storm clouds blot out the sun. Rain's arrival has us scurrying into our small, portable abode, the tent. These summer storms bring us the benefit of leaving the landscape refreshed. With friendly efficiency, the ferry company handed us a collection of tickets, including two for both bicycles, to continue our voyage tomorrow. We sense we're in the middle of Europe, where villages and vineyards are perfectly set out, trains run to time, and prices are trustworthy. Small trains climb mountain slopes on special rail lines for good grip. Next day, we pass the sleek paddle steamer SS Ron, set against a chocolate box backdrop of Alps. It's like looking at a train set. Ten minutes cycle ride away is the fairy tale Castle of Chilon on the lakeshore. When we decide to dine, our bikes we lean against a tree and we choose a table with a view. What a vista it is! We see the oval design of Castle of Chillon, its towers rising from the rocky lakeshore. It's one of Switzerland's finest and most famous images of a spectacular 13th century castle associated with the era of knighthood and pageantry. It's a pity to spoil a good story, for the reality is one of cruel incarceration, even torture. During the 16th century wars of religion, the Dukes of Savoy used the castle to keep prisoners. Its most famous prisoner is probably Francois de Bonivard, a monk of Geneva and politician. He's in prison six years from 1530 for defending his homeland from the Dukes of Savoy. He paces the floor as far as his chain allows, wearing the rut where he walked, still visible today. When Lord Byron visited, a lengthy sonnet came to mind, The Prisoner of Gillon. It tells of the injustice. Others, however, never know freedom again. Some, accused of sorcery, are put to death by fire. Horrendous history. It inspires an ex-secretary of an association for restoration of Chilon Castle, 
Auguste Gunya, to write, Surely the waves of the lake had often dashed vainly in screaming foam against the stout wall of the prison, and, and drowned the despairing shriek of the tortured captive. The castle of Chillon has undergone remarkable restoration, attracting constant crowds of tourists with whom we have no wish to jostle, concentrating on depictions of medieval armory and the seamier side of so-called humanity. Outside, we chuckle at the antics of three Asian girls, photographing one another performing acrobatic feats on the moat walls. One of the paddle steamers, SS Montreux, glides past. Its name is taken from the town Montreux on the strategic historical route up the valley of the Rhone River, deep into the Swiss Alps. We book into the Montreux Youth Hostel, sharing a mixed dormitory. We now know to expect in late summer sudden thunderstorms, and sure enough, rain buckets down from a dark sky of thunderclouds. By then we're safely indoors, from where we watch it douse the streets and railway lines, passing just outside the window. A train every minute or two, such is the density of traffic on European rail routes. It's a good chance to look around the YHA facilities. They're beyond backpackers' expectations. The showers actually deliver hot water. Toilets have seats, and there's an ample supply of toilet paper. Everything is scrubbed clean. Any chips in paintwork are difficult to detect. This is typical of Switzerland, we find. It's also expensive. Economising, two young women huddle over their cartons of just-add-hot-water noodles. But we head for town. figuring out how to fit as much variety into our bike journey as we can. First consideration is to reach Zurich, capital of Switzerland, and our departure point from Europe. We're following advice of friends living near Zurich who recommend this approach via Montreux and the Lakes route. We have time but hope to fit in a day going by rail tunnel inside Jungfrau Mountain, which is almost as high as Mount Cook. Preparing the way. YHA truly know how to turn on a superb breakfast, covered by the overnight accommodation charge. So much energy it offers. A variety of bread and cheese, hams and jams, muesli and yogurts. We pack our bags, preparing for the day's ride. A ride as far as the train station. Swiss railways are definitely bicycle-friendly, Marking on timetables which trains are set up to carry bicycles. Most can, and services are no fuss and frequent. A bicycle rail compartment is easy to identify by its symbol. Removing our panniers, we hang them by the front wheels from hooks inside the rail compartment, 
and fix the rear wheels into metal slots on the floor. Entrusting panniers and all to the Montreux Oberland Benoit Railway Company, we retire to an adjoining carriage. Our train takes off, heading at a fast clip up an incredibly steep grade. It swings through sharp bends, climbing higher above a diminishing Lake Geneva. I worry over our unaccompanied bicycles. Did the conductor shut the bike compartment's sliding doors? Mm, it's worth investigating. He hadn't. Our bicycles are secure, but our panniers are not. Resting separately on the floor, the vibration and switchbacks are inching them relentlessly, closer to the open doors. One of Harlecos is on the verge of tumbling out onto the railway lines. Fascinated by trains and their rolling stock all my life, I don't hesitate to take a firm grip on each door, tracks flashing by beneath me, to apply all my weight so they slide into place. Locked. I redistribute our spreading possessions. It spares us the major upset of losing everything we need for the ride. Disaster averted. I return to Harlico to enjoy the journey. I can't. Looking from our carriage windows on the passing scene, I feel a twinge of guilt that we're sparing ourselves a tough day on the bicycles. Fleeting visions of contented Swiss cows with big bells upon them, short spells on village rail platforms to let locals alight or join the journey, and knowing the region to be home of the delectable Gruyere cheese, we're both realising coming back riding bicycles next time deserves attention. I feel transported into a world that's a wonderful toy train set. Se tenant par la main, les yeux refermés vers d'autres matins remplis de soleil, on les a poussés dans le petit jour. At Interlaken Rail Junction, we're in buoyant mood. I decide to check out the Jungfrau train before attending to where we're going to stay the night. After lunching at a classy pub close to the station, with time, and it's important to plan ahead, there are a few people mooching around in the booking hall. A woman in the ticket booth catches my eye, so I front up, only to be scowled at and told to take the ticket from the machine and await my turn. It allots us a number. Harlico tells me bluntly I should use my brains. I do, dutifully clutching my ticket as our number 97 flashes on the screen. It's above the booth, staffed by the woman who had scowled. I head towards the booth, only to be cut off by an Asian guy getting there first. He gets smiles, right royal treatment. In fact, despite his not having the obligatory ticket. Hmm. I wait patiently trying to fathom this conundrum. Finally, we realize that this is mass tourism. Individuals count for less. Conversation is by credit card, which speaks for whoever holds it, like Aladdin's lamp. This program is adapted from the book Pedal Power by Roy Sinclair. 
for the program Historic Souvenirs, presented on Free FM 89.0, proudly supported by New Zealand On Air. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.